Welcome to a New Testament journey. We'll have our Bible reading followed by our devotional. Romans 4 What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before and he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes from faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification.
Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Blessed or blessed feels too small a word to carry the freight of the fullness of God's favour. But that is what it means. The atonement of Jesus grabs you by the neck and shoves you under the shower of boundless generosity that God poured out on Abraham. Verse 13 in particular is mind-blowing. Abraham would be heir of the world. Stop a second. Dwell on that. If you have gone through the process of atonement, you now hold the righteousness that comes by faith. You now stand with Abraham's arm around your shoulder, his beard tickling your neck. He waves his arm towards the hills and assures you that you are now a co-heir with him of all the nations of all the earth. A chapter ago, you were storing up wrath for yourself and had run out of options. Now, you are a prince and a co-ruler of 195 countries and 5,000 plus tribes. The staggering shift in your fortunes deserves a long, hard consideration. The assurance of our exalted future is something most of us never really make our own. The next four chapters will help us mull over that magnificence. But the focus of Paul's chapter here is the collaborative nature of this promise. If you pan out just slightly, you see Abraham has a crowd of arms around his shoulders. His beard is tickling the neck of billions, and many of them are black or bald, or Chinese, or Jewish, they will co-rule their tribe and your tribe with you. The twin challenge of grace is to comprehend the superabundant generosity that God has lavished on you, and also to grasp that your privilege is one shared equally with others, many of whom were utterly different to who you were. So, no one can boast. No one can really act or talk or think of themselves as an individual saved by Jesus. All of us have been drafted into a whole new collaborative family of faith. We, the redeemed, all stand together as partners and co-heirs. The shower of God's crazy kindness to Abraham has become communal. We stand under the blessing together, rejoicing in its refreshment, bewildered by its beauty, soaking in its promise. Here's a question for reflection. What will it be like to co-rule all of creation? We pray God's word bears fruit in your life. For all the information about the New Testament journey, head to www.anewtestamentjourney.net.